is Alicia Halliday, and this is the ASF Weekly Science Podcast. I'll admit it, until this weekend, I totally forgot that Monday or today is Indigenous Peoples Day, formerly known as Columbus Day in the United States. I had a completely different podcast planned, and I'm not proud of that. Part of the whole problem is the lack of recognition on the challenges of people who were native to the land we live on now. And while the U.S. and other countries are proud of their diversity and inclusion, there needs to be recognition that Native peoples, Indigenous peoples in other countries, are underserved in many ways. In the United States, Native Americans live on reservations which are often remote, have little services like electricity and plumbing, and right now are having issues with COVID outbreaks like you wouldn't imagine. Countries outside the U.S., like Australia, are recognizing the isolation of some indigenous communities, which might delay an autism diagnosis, but overall may not be such a terrible thing. Sometimes that's the way they were raised to live. That's their way of life. But of course, to the rest of us, it's human nature to try and bring them healthcare services and education. Last year, I looked into the literature on indigenous populations and Native Americans, and I actually didn't find that much. This year, I looked again, and I was thrilled to read that more and more researchers are trying to figure out ways to help indigenous peoples. In the U.S., they're called Native Americans. In this podcast, I want to discuss who is studying them, and I'm sorry if I miss anyone, what they found, and then also what they're doing to help these groups. The first question is, of course, is what is the prevalence of autism in these communities? Well, it's likely way underdiagnosed. One study, which is a systematic review of prevalence in indigenous peoples in Australia, found that it might actually be mixed up with schizophrenia or just flat out unrecognized. Another study showed that while 5.5% of kids in schools were, were from indigenous communities, they represented 13% of the cases of autism, mental health problems, and juvenile justice. So it might be as prevalent but under-recognized until they reach a school system. Not only is the news that they remain underdiagnosed, but when they're diagnosed, they're also diagnosed later. They're not people that are shunned in their community because of stigma. And indigenous people's attitudes, at least in Australia, was that while some may be quirky and odd, they were more accepted, at least the ones that had normal to high IQs. They were just considered different than others, and they should be embraced by the community, a lot like the neurodiversity movement. The indigenous people embrace the idea of, quote unquote, it takes a village, and stress that support and services must be community-oriented. Most models have enhancing community awareness of autism and adapting service delivery models to accommodate greater community involvement in the diagnostic and support processes. Support service delivery is really key, and it must be done by the community. Now, clearly, there's a disparity in diagnosis for all the reasons you would expect, cultural differences, some stigma, and of course, the very nature of living in a remote community. Outside autism, but more developmental delay, things like premature death, poor nutrition, and exposure to toxic chemicals may delay proper development. Fetal alcohol syndrome, unfortunately, plays a huge role in the Native American community. 
And the rate is like 0.3 per thousand in the rest of Arizona, but within the Native American communities, it's seven per hundred. But that, but it's not all about drinking or nutrition. Native American languages are different than English. They have more verbs and less nouns, and the verbs are more semantically complex. Besides having different effects on children born with developmental delays versus those not, it makes it challenging to translate screening tools into their languages, but it has been done. Also, culture plays a role in diagnosis. For example, cognitively impaired children with ASD may be identified only by their cognitive impairment and without a dual diagnosis of ASD. It's also possible that higher functioning children with ASD are accepted within their families, I mentioned this before, and cultures and not even labeled as having a disability. Some Native American and Native Hawaiian groups facilitate acceptance of individuals with social communication impairment and actually assist their integration in not just family settings, but other cultural settings. This whole idea of a child with ASD may be viewed as representing past parental misdeeds are really not uniformly accepted throughout any Aboriginal group. So, okay, there's some challenges. So what about the psychological resources that have been created for Indigenous people around the world? I was shocked that there's been an actual systematic review of this. There were actually enough articles to organize, describe, and rate. I was thrilled about this. The study looked at resources in Australia, the U.S., Canada, and New Zealand. Some of these communities do not even have a word for disability and don't even know what to do. There's been a demonstrated increased risk of these communities to experience psychosocial difficulties, depression, isolation, loneliness, frustration, and confusion. Resources developed for these communities included a more passive approach, like websites offering psychoeducation about ASD with downloadable resources. Of course, you need a computer for this. Not everyone has one. Others are more involved, like online support groups, or even a school-based intervention that teaches autism students and teachers about self-regulation and emotional regulation. There are also educational webinars that are free. They used to be face-to-face. Now, of course, they're virtual. In all of these cases, a representative of the Aboriginal or Native community was a leader because the community needs to understand the importance of this from someone that they trust, respect, and feel understands their community. Others are going into communities and performing psychological testing for ASD and then providing services within that community. All of these studies were conducted in the last 10 years. We're also hopeful that they're moving in the right direction of being more inclusive in the way they help these communities together with leaders in those communities. But more needs to be done in terms of community participatory research. What are the needs of the communities being told by people in that community, delivered and managed by Natives themselves? Finally, there's a group of Indigenous people that is in a crisis right now outside the United States. They're Syrian refugees. They were indigenous and they were forced out to camps in Turkey. A research team led by Sarah Dabinaw out of the University of Maryland literally went into Syria to figure out the best way to help Syrian refugees with ASD. Add on to this the layer of having to flee your own country and live in a 
refugee camp, they were dealing with trauma too. They work with local nonprofit organizations with a mission to support children with ASD in conflict-affected communities. They include everything from ASD service professionals, community liaisons, trauma specialists, and parent and sibling support groups. They came from across the world to help these people. They consisted of parent-teacher cooperatives. These parent-teacher cooperatives met each week for 12 weeks to help parents promote communication, social interaction, all within the child's natural environment. They were delivered in modules, and the modules were based on a program based out of the U.S., but of course it was adapted for the circumstances of the group being helped. In this way, they had to encompass things like safety, trustworthiness, peer support, empowerment, collaboration, and mutual interests. Because autism is stigmatized in the Middle East, also there were community lectures to increase awareness. Parents and siblings participated in these trainings to help create a confidential space for people to share their experiences. They developed things like confidence building and ways to strengthen families' understanding of ASD. The parents attended about 80% of the sessions. Now, that's a lot, but it's not perfect. When they couldn't go, it seemed to have to do with things like illness and personal safety and actually the logistics of getting to those sessions. However, overall, they were relatively positive about it. They gained knowledge about ASD, they learned to deal with challenging behaviors, and they increased their confidence in managing those challenging behaviors. Overall, people want these programs to expand because they recognize that there's more work to be done. More needs to be done to address concerns of parents as to why they could not attend and also expand the program since there was really only a dozen people involved in this phase. There are many challenges in studying and helping families with ASD and Indigenous peoples. They're underdiagnosed. Just the nature of their living situations make them hard to reach physically and logistically. Language and cultural barriers need to be addressed. They also need to be integrated. It's important to include members of that community, not just the white folk from cities like me. So there's trust and better understanding. We have a lot to do, but honestly, I was thrilled that more and more researchers are attempting to understand the problem and also do something about it. And most importantly, including Indigenous people into their efforts to help us other folks understand their beliefs and find out what would work in their community and their culture is incredibly important. So this goes back to the whole purpose of today's holiday, recognition, awareness, and working to do something about it. Thank you for listening this week.